welcome to Meant to Move, a series all about developing our relationship with our bodies and learning how to see our body not as an obstacle, but as a path to a more fulfilling life. I am Marie Janicek, a movement expert here to guide you towards becoming more in tune with your body. And I am Julia Spohr, a layperson who will go on this journey with you and help you avoid beginner mistakes. Together we will discuss all things regarding movement, embodiment, intuition and body image to help you reach your goals regarding physical health, mental health, athletic performance, spirituality, emotions and even relationships. Thank you for tuning in. It's not the same as it was just I cannot get the song out of my head for the life of me. Was this the um Harry yeah, Styles? The Harry Styles, yeah. Yeah. It's funny, I just saw a video um of this biology teacher, I believe, um, commenting on some some influencers recognition that Harry Styles has more than two nipples. And he was talking about the biology of like why many people have more than two nipples and explaining where that comes from. Um, and oh then my God. I saw why do they actually? I'm curious. Why do they? Um, because there's like what's called like a milk line in every body, um, whether you're male or female. It's why males have nipples as well. And that mm-hmm. line, that line can run all the way like under the armpit and and like down towards like the outside ridge of where your six pack would be. And so sometimes people will develop, um, you know, nipple like or nipple uh, growths along that line because it's just all connected to the same thing. And in fact, if you look at most mammals, most female mammals have several nipples. They don't just have two. Right. Um, And so we have that same foundational basis. It's just in our evolution, we prioritize two, but sometimes those anomalies pop up when we get more. And sometimes they're not even fully formed nipples. They're just like pink spots that have the same sort of texture as like the areola in the nipple, but they don't even have yeah. like a fully formed nipple facet. Um, that yeah. That's like, that is so cool. Like, I feel like we all are, we have those little differences between uh, ourselves and our little tweaks and something that makes us special. And like, I don't know. I I've started to embrace those those things because I I don't know. For me, I used to be very like insecure, um, and I don't know. For example, I have like pretty big shoulder blades, and, and then <laughs> they just like kind of stick out, and and I was like pretty insecure about that. But then I'm trying to take those little like very specific characteristics of being me, being Julia, and mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm just trying to make it into like my personal branding, you know, <laughs> which is like. The, the my thing. Yeah. Well, and I, I remember noticing in high school that the people I thought were the most beautiful, like, were made beautiful by their imperfection or the fact that they didn't have these classical beauty aesthetic components. Um, and often it was these imperfections in another person's um, either fit like physical build or even in their face that made them beautiful and and yeah I I I know this is like a huge factor for many people when we are talking about moving our bodies it's this pressure of I need to look a certain way in order to be beautiful but um 
there's something so important about learning to embrace what's not considered perfection because that is also like a small percentage of the population um, that maybe has those natural tendencies. And often with our social media and even like the filters on social media is absolutely not natural anymore. It's very... Yeah, uh, it's crazy. Yeah. In fact, I was thinking about posting about this in the last few weeks because as I try and find filters, I want something just very subtle, very mm. natural looking. And often these these filters end up really sort of changing what your face looks like. And it's yeah. kind of scary to me that we live in a world when so much of our focus is on self-promotion or self-branding, whether you're building a business or not. This is still insidious and like, you know, changes how all of us think about ourselves. And when these filters are actually changing what we look like, that has a huge effect on our idea of what we should be looking like. And it really, I think... Uh, chips away at our ability to embrace ourselves in all of our imperfection and to like really cultivate an authentic relationship of self-love to the unique bodies that we each get to express through and I I mean I, I was thinking about how scary that is you know because of all the like kids who are just like developing their their sense of what is desirable and attractive and they are looking at this these filters um I don't know like just yesterday i think i was scrolling through through my instagram feed and and saw like like a recommended post and there were just like two influencers that had like a carousel and on the first pictures they were just like they're they're like selfies and i thought oh my god they look so like they look like so similar so perfect are they like sisters Mm. and then i saw like i scrolled the carousel and it actually was a post about filters and they then posted like they're real faces and they looked like completely like two different people different like um you know like skin colors and or like freckles or you know eye colors uh, or like eye shapes and with those filters they looked like the same person um you know pretty pretty fake as well but I was just feeling this is pretty this is pretty scary also like I I sometimes like to use you know filters when I am just feeling absolute like like absolute shit and I just would I don't know cover my pimples or something but I just yeah. keep scrolling and looking for something you know quote-unquote natural and browsing and I I never found anything that would work so I'm just like I just said screw it and and let's just let's just be real mm. um, and I'm I was I was kind of thinking like is it even good to have that option and shouldn't maybe we should like disable filters like as a whole like the the beauty ones uh, i don't know what what i my like final thoughts on are on that but maybe that will be an option yeah well i think the filters are sort of born out of something that's been going on for a long time, like even the world of makeup. And for those who of you who are watching me through YouTube right now, like um, with like a full red lip and I have my mascara and, um, you know, brow line filled in. So there's, I think, always been pressure, especially for women to look a certain way to have this quote unquote baseline presentation um, because so much of our worth has been judged based off of our appearance first. And not that this doesn't happen for um, people who identify as men, but it has certainly been a huge player for people who identify as women. 
And it's something that I definitely have a complex relationship with because there's a part of me that gets frustrated by sort of noticing that I get a lot more traction when I look certain way versus when I come on and I'm all natural and I'm not trying to filter anything. Yeah. And um, I not and that it's like, like it's men... annoying that it's not based on the on the on the value that you're providing to people exactly. Um, yeah. But just based on how you present yourself on that day, maybe you are on your period, maybe you are tired, maybe you are sick, whatever. And you're this is something that you cannot control. Um, the value you give this is, but this is not what you're what you are like judged on. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating because we are very visual beings. And I think a lot of that visual uh, prioritization comes from an evolutionary mechanism because visually you register movement and movement has been our primary language of survival. Uh, as we've talked about in previous episodes, it's how we register everything, whether we're conscious of it or not. But uh, when we have these aesthetic qualities that are largely informed by social and economic and cultural belief systems uh, that many times actually disrupt some of these principles we want to live by, that becomes a very challenging thing because they are informing us. Um, they've been indoctrinated in us since a very young age. And then figuring out whether or not you want to play into those uh, is a process. And I think we're mm. in a really interesting time where we are watching many people debunk a lot of these conditioning assumptions and choosing to pave their own way. But that internal process um, for each individual to sort of decide for themselves, like, well, how do I want to present? And what is important to me? And is it following the principles? Or do I want to sort of, quote, unquote, play the game? Um, yeah, that's just like a really complex thing. And I'm definitely still within all that trying to figure out how I feel yeah. about it, and how I want to move forward. And that will change also yeah definitely like this whole thing is so nuanced and as much as we want to be i don't know like we, we want to be better people who are not that judgmental and who don't think in terms of patterns and and who don't judge based on visuals we we as much as we want to do that we cannot fully stop listening to to those instincts because this is how our brain was was designed and and this will always be a part of of us to to an extent Maybe it's not entirely bad, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's we at the, at the end of the day, we can we can just do as much as we can do and and be the best and and non-judgmental and and accepting and tolerant people. And I don't know, I feel like this kind of also stems from like fairy tales and children's movies in which bad characters are presented as, you know, quote unquote ugly, and those good characters are conventionally beautiful and and so we are kind of wired to think in terms of like these black or white patterns and um, i don't know i think this is so this is complicated for anyone to to navigate yeah i think the real opportunity in navigating all of this is it it gives you an opportunity to to be with the emotional sort of uh response that happens in these situations and if you're willing to meet that emotional response and dig into what it's really trying to convey to you like the deeper message of like who you are that's looking to come through in that exchange it's a really powerful opportunity but 
more often than not, we're getting these emotional reactions or responses uh, when we are in these situations and we're not actually attending to them. So I think, you know, and that's a different uh, process for every person, right? So my process in dealing with this self-image perspective is going to be very different than another person. And like the conclusion I come to now versus in six months is going to be very different than anyone else. And it's a, it's a matter of just recognizing like, well, what is this really talking to me about? Maybe I do care more about being valued for what I have to say and what I'm contributing rather than what I look like. Mm -hmm. And if that is my priority, then, then what can I do to make sure I lead forward with what I think is more important instead of feeling like I should and supposed to like put the makeup on or look a certain way to be heard. And at the Mm -hmm. end of the day, like that is in my control. Um, And the question is, is am I going to allow myself to, to fall in with those shoulds and supposed tos based off of what I think makes sense versus like follow my own guidance. And this kind of, this kind of internal dialogue is something that is so fundamentally important as a human being, especially nowadays with the internet. Uh, and it really feeds into all other elements of our health, like you and I have been talking about the last couple of episodes. Yeah. So maybe this is a good way to like segue into the main topic of, of today's episode, um, because we we want to talk about pleasure. And I feel like this is this plays such a big part of that because how we are perceiving ourselves how we are enjoying our bodies um very often that's based on how we feel like they are perceived by others and and note that we are not basing that on how we are perceived but how we feel we are perceived Mm. so it doesn't matter how people actually see you what matters is how you feel Mm. how you think how you um guess they 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 perceive you and and i feel like pleasure is is kind of related to what we talked about um the past uh, two two you know I guess two weeks ago uh, or three um in our last episode about confidence but I feel like this is a great way to to get into that place place of confidence which is like actually great news that you can enjoy yourself and have fun and then you will also be rewarded with the fact that you will be more confident and just. I don't know, more, more feeling yourself, more happy with, with who you are. Yeah. I think, you know, as we dive into this topic of pleasure, something that feels fundamentally important for me to talk about in relationship to pleasure is we are always seeking and making decisions in service of pleasure. But I notice a a problem most of us tend to fall into, or a pitfall, I should say, is this idea that pleasure exists outside of ourselves. And so often, I think we get kind of sidetracked in our relationship with pleasure, where we're trying to manipulate outside circumstances in order to get it. And, you know, this can be done a number of ways where we often get so locked into the state of thinking, well, I need these certain things to fall into place in order to feel better, in order to get that sense of pleasure and satisfaction, uh, confidence and joy and happiness that is ultimately tied into the pleasure circuit. And that can be things like, well, I need a better job. I need better coworkers. I need to make more money. I need a better body. I need a stronger body. I need a fit, beautiful body. 
you know, I need a romantic partner, a lover in my bed, all these things. And really, the only way that we can accurately start to even create those external circumstances for ourselves is if we're creating an internal relationship to pleasure that's not tied to circumstances, that's more unconditional. And the reason I think this is so important is because I don't know if any of the listeners can relate to this. I certainly can. There have been so many times in my life where I believed an external circumstance would lead to an internal sense of pleasure and satisfaction and joy, and I got it, but I didn't feel the hit of pleasure I was expecting once it came. And I believe a huge part of that is because I hadn't actually been working on developing that internal circuitry of feeling pleasure before the circumstance changed. And ultimately, pleasure is not held in the circumstance. It's an internal wiring and connection you have to develop with ourselves. And funnily enough is... When you develop that sense of internal pleasure within yourself first and you get really practiced at it and you start to master it, you'll start to experience pleasure in more of the mundane aspects of life. And then when the things you've wanted, those outside circumstances come to be, they are actually more pleasurable to experience because you've been experiencing pleasure along the way. Instead of holding yourself apart from pleasure, and waiting for that external outcome to deliver it instead. Yeah, I mean, it's it was game-changing for me to learn that happiness and, and pleasure, they are like created within you, like they are not something objective. They are not something that, that is created like outside. So your sense of pleasure based on like, for example, from food or or a movie or a partner or whatever, this is not something that you can objectively measure outside it is something that like based on your current state of mind you will decide like on the amount of pleasure that you will feel and and so realizing that this is actually up to me to feel that pleasure in in all kinds of circumstances also you know during a moving practice or exercising or swimming running whatever learning that it's actually up to me is very freeing um because you know it's nice to have things under control and then when you know that it's actually up to you you can practice it you can train yourself to become better at feeling pleasure and it then becomes a habit like you can do that through so many things like mentally when it comes to like creating a mindset you can you know practice gratitude in your journal or just you know in your head Uh, but you can also practice pleasure for example when you're eating you can you can practice mindful eating and and making sure that you are really there to sense all of the tastes and smells and textures or when you are with friends you can practice making sure that you are you are enjoying being with them you can really make sure that you are present also to 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 notice the little things that they do that make you smile you know the way they um, I don't know lick their lips between between sentences or or just you know how kind they are to you or just how pretty they look or just how grateful you feel to have uh, them to to talk to you today and you know I feel like 
being there, being mindful in, in a situation plays a big role also in, in, in feeling pleasure, in enjoying moments. Uh, I feel like mindfulness and and truly being in the in the present moment is like the, the one of the biggest pieces of advice that I could recommend to, to anyone listening. Well, and on that note, I think wouldn't your life be so much better if you found ways to feel pleasure all the time, <laughs> whether it is in the accomplishment of the big things that feel really important to you, but even all the simple, small, seemingly mundane details that are already present in your life, isn't it so noticeably different when you're really enjoying all those simple details in a new light with a new sense of pleasure? And and I maybe not everyone has been in this experience, but I certainly have been, you know, when I've had something that just feels like magic coming into my life and how I'm completely transformed by that, where like every detail of my day feels like its own special brand of magic. Every person I interact with, whether it's someone I've known for a long time or a stranger I'm meeting on the street, feels like a special little moment of synchronicity. And knowing that I have the capacity to have days like that, where fundamentally nothing in terms of these larger external circumstances has changed, but I've changed and how I'm choosing to approach my day has changed. It's such a powerful sense of self-awakening and self-empowerment. The challenge is sort of gearing ourselves into being able to live from that lens more often. And, you know, I think this is where a lot of spiritual teachings speak to this level of self-awareness and sort of allowing yourself to let go of these larger stresses that will hold us in the holding pattern and in many ways keep us blinded to the abundance, the beauty, the the magical nature of the interactions that are already around us. And when we can let go of those and really dive in and and experience the pleasure of these simple things, that's what that's really where our point of power is. And I know I feel this very viscerally right now. I don't know if you listeners can hear this in my voice, but I'm coming off of probably the worst cold I've had in two and a half years. And I, it might be COVID. I'm going to get a PCR test today to check, but it's just put me in such a sharp sense of gratitude for how wonderful it feels to be healthy. And I'd been grateful for that the last couple of years because the last two and a half years is the longest stretch I've ever gone in my entire life without getting sick. But at the same time, I'm very grateful for this moment of contrast because it just reminds me how powerful this thing that's so easy to take for granted really is and allows me to get ready to really relish it at a whole new level, especially as my health continues to come back and I find my way to my normal baseline of 100%. Mm, I'm so happy you had that opportunity to feel gratitude for for your body and for your health. Uh, that, you know, that little moment of like a perspective switch uh, to see actually this is doing so much for me. And, and I feel like pleasure... Um, especially, you know, for, for this series in terms of 
how we enjoy our bodies is also something very important to talk about because I feel like from that a lot of other pleasures stem from because if you are for example insecure about how your body looks you are afraid that you are too big for example then you are not even able to enjoy your food and feel pleasure from that uh, because you are just constantly feeling like Uh, you are just not and you are not enjoying yourself and so you should punish yourself you are um, not enough in that sense and and enjoying our bodies is it's you know it's kind of hard as we as we talked about in in the first episode of of developing the relationship with our bodies Mm. and and in in my case movement uh, has been a great help in that uh, because that was that perspective switch like for you that was this sickness in like in the recent uh, days that was the sickness um and I feel like probably in like in a broader time frame uh, for you and for me I feel like movement taught us so much about being grateful for what our bodies are able to do and how incredible it is to experience all of the things we are able to experience through this vessel. Yeah, I mean, everything we experience, like most of the forms of pleasure we experience are only possible through our body. And it's because our body has all these different mechanisms of sensing and sensation to be able to create pleasure through, whether it's through our eyes, through our ears, through our taste, through our smell, through touch. And then there's this whole world that I think many people fail to spend time really diving into and exploring and discovering. And that's that internal world of bodily sensations that for me has been such an important catalyst to really enriching my understanding of pleasure in more of these nuanced moments uh, in my day-to-day outside of these larger circumstantial changes. And there's there's so much opportunity to really flesh out pleasure uh, from an internal perspective when we are allowing ourselves to tune into the feel of our body and getting more familiar and acquainted with that. And I do want to say that if you've spent a large part of your life trying not to feel into your body either because you've been conditioned out of it, you've been told it's not valuable, you've sort of had to for the sake of survival, for the sake of making it through really intense work days, trauma, past relationships, whatever that might be. But if we can find those small opportunities where we really feel safe to begin connecting inward with those more ephemeral sensations, those less clear external tactile sensations this is such a robust place to really start understanding who we are in a really intimate and personal and unique way and when we develop this internal connection it's such a it's such a powerful foundation to be able to start finding and translating more pleasure outside ourselves as we're sort of walking through our day-to-day lives yeah, and it's so cool that when we invest in in making sure that we are enjoying ourselves and feel that pleasure, then we can write, we can take that and share it with with the rest of the world, with the people we care about. Um, and 
also like when I when I was talking about movement, I remember that you know for me it, it is now such a, a such a huge source of pleasure and and enjoyment. However, usually and and for me that used to be the case, but for most of people I feel like movement is something that in 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 our minds equals as something uncomfortable or painful and something deeply unpleasurable you know and 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 very often I feel like that might be because we we mimic and copy like fitness gurus who who say to work out this way and we ignore the cues that our body is giving us and and the the advice to 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 move in a way that that feels good to us in in that in that moment and when we ignore that, we end up moving in a way that is that is uncomfortable or painful or too hard. And so from the get-go, our relationship with movement is something that is filled with that sense of pressure and and something that we we cringe on our face when we think about. And and I'm so saddened about that because it can be so much more it can influence your emotional spiritual mental physical health and, and a lot of people are not even aware of that because they are so afraid of pain of not feeling that pleasure or even more of or, or feeling um discomfort you know yeah and you know pain and discomfort are important messages and they all have their place but pleasure is also a really important message. And when most people begin their relationship to their body or, or really start to dive into it through fitness and exercise mechanisms, most of which promote the no pain, no gain, and like there's this sort of pay your way in, paying in through um, stress and through anxiety and through discomfort and through suffering, right? This, there's always this promise, like it's going to feel bad until it gets better. And that is true in some cases, but I do think uh, something that most traditional fitness leaves out is also prioritizing pleasure. And this is, for me, has been such a key element and why I put so much effort and focus on prioritizing pleasure, not only in workshops and classes that I teach, but in every one-on-one -on -one experience, because pleasure is actually a much more powerful neurological feedback loop than stress is. <laughs> and so we all know when something gives us pleasure, we are tens of times more likely to want to go back in and do that thing, right? That's usually the power of most substances, whether we're talking about alcohol or drugs or anything that gives us that hit, is our pleasure response is probably one of our most powerful means of survival. Yes, there's fear and survival, but pleasure is really powerful as well. But when we assume that we have to prioritize the fear of the survival response and we stop feeding pleasure, we're not feeding this really important part of our neurobiology, of our evolutionary biology that has the power to take us to places we want to go and can actually do it through a mechanism that in some ways is far less uncomfortable, in many ways far more enjoyable, and can get us everything we want as well. And 
when we are taking time to move with pleasure, and I think the main reason why many of us don't experience this is we already feel this sense of disassociation with our bodies in some way, especially if we haven't cultivated a long-standing relationship with movement, and especially if we haven't cultivated a relationship with pleasure. We go into structures and systems that allow us to feel safe, but a lot of times we're going into that structure and that systematization of movement at the cost of being able to explore and find pleasure in it as well. And this is where I think intuitive movement is such a powerful practice, and it's been so fun hearing about your journey in this, Julia. But intuitive movement is a practice that's all about prioritizing pleasure no matter what the movement actually looks like. So you're prioritizing something because it feels good to do, and you're allowing yourself to go there, and you're allowing yourself to feed that response, and at the same time, pulling and stripping away that worry of it needing to be a certain way to fit in, to look good, to fit any outside standards. And when you're developing a relationship with that, then when you are going into these structured systems, you have a much higher ability to be able to hook into moments of pleasure even within those practices than if you have not spent time cultivating pleasure within yourself. And there's even another layer to this. If you don't feel comfortable just moving your body and letting yourself be a little weird, a little wild, letting things look strange and sort of chunky and not pretty, you're not allowing yourself that freedom to make mistakes to find your way to the correct form or structure or position in these structured streamlined practices that many people move into. And it's that fear of making mistakes, of looking bad and getting it wrong that sort of perpetuates the struggle and suffering response most people have in relationship to their bodies. So it's really important that we give ourselves space and permission to be weird, to flail around, to not look good, to to just express movement in whatever way it wants to come through, even though it may not be perfect or look cool. And just to get comfortable in feeling what those movements feel like, because then when you break down that response, you have so much more within your toolkit and your toolbox to go into these structured forms of movement and feel confident in them and to know what's Mm. happening because you have that dialogue with your own body underway. Oh my God, like I relate to what you've said so much because I agree, like it all is based on our expectations and and when we have those expectations for how movement should look but also how relationships should feel how food should taste how our lives are supposed to look what kind of jobs we're supposed to have and when all our lives are not meeting those expectations which it will inevitably not meet them because like this is it's impossible because very often we have unrealistic expectations so letting go of of those expectations is so key in in enjoying our lives and I've been actually recording about that like two weeks ago because I've been recording about romanticizing your life which I feel like is a concept that a lot of people are trying to to develop because we all want to have that main character energy and a lot of people are talking about how to achieve that, how to feel like a, like a main character. And in my experience, most of the what that is, it's actually letting go of the expectations 
and 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 noticing the beauty and and fun in what you have in the present moment and and that might be you know running in the rain instead of like complaining that it's raining or that might be fully and truly enjoying the cake you've been given and not feeling guilty about eating it and so with movement it's also enjoying your run even if it's not your your personal best that you are you're doing on this training it's just taking what life gives you and and enjoying that and I feel like with with our bodies this is like letting go of of these expectations is so healing Mm. and 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 as we as we've been talking about enjoying ourselves and our bodies for me lately that's been a big part was like tending to my inner child you know uh which i feel like a lot of us are forgetting about that we are just children in slightly bigger bodies but we still have those those needs um to to be silly to move around just the way that our body is is asking us to do to laugh out loud just because just because like for no other reason that it just it's fun i feel like that's what children do they do things for the sake of fun and pleasure without judgment without realizing like overthinking how others will perceive them because they don't know uh, much about perception yet and so tending to my inner child has been truly truly helpful and I feel like you will have your own definition of what that is uh, because you will have different um, traumas and also different good memories from your childhood and different needs also based on that of what actually feels great and and what also uh, relationships feel good I feel like understanding your inner child is so crucial when it comes to figuring out what kind of like romantic relationship you also need um and it's like it's also nuanced but I feel like the key is like kind of letting go of of the expectations like children do yeah I think children are miraculous and I definitely spend so much of my time trying to embrace the wisdom of children the more I become an adult Uh, Because if you watch what children are really doing, they are trusting in their own internal guidance system above all else. It's also why they are difficult to control at times (laughs) and why they don't want to be a part of a system. And I think there is a powerful wisdom in that as they understand the power of their own individuality. They innately know that they are here to have their own experience and that as they experience the contrast of this world, they get to more clearly define what experience they want for themselves. And I think the biggest flaw that hopefully is starting to dissolve and and break down in the next few generations of children coming in is this need to force the children to sort of like come into reality, quote unquote, and and like understand how this works and abandon their internal guidance system for the guidance system of these outside structures and systems. Mm. And I will say that since becoming an adult and since coming into therapy in my twenties, 
the this was the thing I realized I was unlearning is like reclaiming that inner knowing I had so strongly as a child and that in some ways I carried forward into adulthood but pieces of that were lost and trying to reclaim those pieces of that strength of inner knowing that trust in my knowing that trust in my instinct that trust in my own guidance system right which is a felt sense <laughs> it comes through messages in your body it comes through the random ideas that maybe other people don't get but as we become adults and this is certainly true for me and if it relates for any of you I'm I'm thrilled but as adults I think we start to rely more and more on what other people have to say about our ideas or about our actions than we rely on our own feeling about them which is mm. hugely paradoxical when you take a moment to break that down like how does that make any sense how does anybody know yeah. what's going to be best for you like you know because you know how it feels and you know as children we're so tapped into that we're so trusting of it but we have historically have had a lot of adults and systems and structures try and sort of wring that innate connection out from us and this is where movement is such a powerful medium to reconnect with that because as children we are so naturally tapped into our bodies and we are so naturally tapped into those sensitivities of sensation and of those instincts and this is why I say this is not something that is foreign to anyone because we've all lived in that in some way, shape, or form. Now, how long you maintain that connection, that's the factor that's different. But the truth is, is all of us coming into these bodies, we're born with this connection, and we lived with this deep, intimate connection with, with this greater sense of trust and knowing and trust in ourselves as the unique beings that we are. The challenge is, is learning to reconnect with that part of ourselves. And mm. that can be done in a myriad of ways. And for me, I just, I find movement to be the most powerful space to do it because I get to do it with my body and then watch what happens in my mind and then feel what happens in my emotions and my state of being. So I feel like I get to bring all parts of myself to the table as I try and call my whole self back forward to the driving wheel. Mm, yeah. Like, oh, I feel like I should just take our conversations, print them out and do like a wallpaper <laughs> in like my bedroom and just like have those as reminders. <laughs> um, and as we were talking about like tapping into our bodies and and listening to to that, to those sensations and those cravings, I feel like as we grow up and become adults, a big part of that embodiment aspect is sensuality and also sexuality which is mm. also like a such a big topic of pleasure you know um and I feel like nowadays still nowadays but mostly you know in our society especially for women it is a taboo topic and it's filled with shame and insecurity mm. and and actually it and shouldn't be because it should be also a big part of yeah right it's it should be just pleasure if you think about it because that's inherently what what that area of connecting deeply with someone and with ourselves with our bodies that should be such a such a space filled with pleasure and connection and i feel like for most people 
it's filled with with shame insecurity not being enough and and questioning ourselves and our partners and and this is this is scary and this is what i've been also exploring with my movement practice um to to find a way to heal that space as well you know yeah it's it's a huge factor um when we're talking about pleasure i think there's for for me and my experience and and with my work teaching others there's these three core components that tap into this equation um there when we're talking about pleasure uh part of it is the body because the body is the vessel through which we sense and experience pleasure then there's this idea of sensuality right if the body is how we sense like are we allowing ourselves to be sensual to really be open and receptive and and to have our pleasure gates sort of open to really viscerally be in a pleasure response and then naturally when we start talking about these things the more the most prevalent association is through sex but sexuality like sex is a part of sexuality but there's so much there's so much that's enmeshed within this concept of sexuality that doesn't actually have to do with the physical act of sex or intimacy with either yourself through masturbation practices or even with a partner. Um, and I think for me, the way I've really enjoyed expanding my own connection to sexuality and sensuality is it's sexuality is really creative energy and when we break down like what even happens in a sexual act, it's creation. It's a creation mm. of intimacy. It's a creation of connection. And from a reproductive standpoint, it's the creation of new life. Yeah. And there's so much, even in terms of being a visionary or wanting to create a business or having an idea or, you know, like wanting to put your expansive, powerful imprint into the world in some way, shape, or form is connected to sexuality. And it, it is more about that creative energy, which is life force energy. Life force energy yeah. is powerful. It wants to be expressed. It wants to be felt and it wants to be sensed. And it needs to be sensed through your own vessel before it can start to exchange and interplay with other people. And from a very specific example like through the lens of sex in particular this was such a surprising experience for me um i have had a fair amount of sexual trauma and violence in my life i've been a victim of rape um i had a lot of non-consensual experiences in my teens and in my early 20s as i was becoming more sexually active and in general like my relationships with sex was fraught with a lot of fear, a lot of panic, a lot of um, victimhood as well. And what was really fascinating to me is as I gained support through all these experiences, I was very privileged and so appreciative to have the ability to work with a therapist to work through all this and to gain a higher understanding but something that I did for myself like aside from just prioritizing my own self-pleasure practices with my genitalia in masturbation was um, prioritizing my self-pleasure through my intuitive movement practice and when we are even trying to make this distinction and connection of pleasure through sex and sex with partners and that kind of intimacy, 
I've discovered that like a huge part that many people leave out of the equation is how do you experience pleasure throughout your whole body, not just through your genitalia and not just through that experience, you know, in the bedroom with your partner or if you're having sex in public, wherever that may be. <laughs> but if you but through intuitive movement and just learning to move my body and follow the sensations that felt pleasurable and just kind of let my body move in ways that it wanted to move without thinking about it, but just feeling into what felt really good and not worrying about what it looked like is it started creating a really powerful change in my sexual experiences with people so much so that I, I suddenly found myself having something like, 20 to 30 orgasms <laughs> in one sexual exchange and at the time I thought it was the partner I was with um but after we Damn. split ways this kept happening and and it only continues to build and grow with time and now I'm at a, a very rare end of the spectrum I, I imagine that many people listening might feel intimidated by this and in fact <laughs> had partners have been intimidated hearing this from me. Um, but a large part of that is because I'm able to follow pleasure responses, not just through like the one or the two areas we think about in these sexual intimacy exchanges, but I have developed a vast network of resources for just feeling pleasure in my body and pleasure through movement. And because mm. I can follow that, I may, I'm able to experience a huge range of pleasure in that intimacy, um, space of being sexual with a partner and for me it's it feels largely evident that this happened because I just prioritized practicing pleasure through my own body through movement even without the external touch of another human even without you know physically stimulating my own genitalia but just creating like a really vast network of this pleasure sensory through the medium of movement by itself mm. I feel like as a way of moving sexuality is so important like in, in the movement practice because through that and and I guess through masturbation mostly you can learn that you are enough for yourself like you can provide support comfort pleasure by yourself as well which for me was also like a, a factor in, in going through this journey of this movement practice but like apart from just sexuality and masturbation for me it was massaging myself holding myself at night it was also right tending to that inner child it was really tapping into those deep innate needs and instincts and cravings and I, I guess I was so ignorant of them to to the point where I was just like I, I thought that I don't I don't really have as many or like as intense needs as other people do you know turns out I think I'm an average person in that because you know as you as you tap into that and as you also let go of the expectations and allow yourself to explore this whole space without shame and I'm speaking as a person who, growing up, used to think that masturbation is not really like... I, I wasn't even thinking about it. I wasn't even thinking how that can be... I wasn't thinking like even like to do it, to try it. 
I was thinking that there was something bad or, or, or like what only like horny people do, which is like, this is like a whole topic, you know, to, to talk about on a, on a different podcast, like to have like an entire hour to talk about how this whole thing has been manipulated to be something evil, something bad, something that you should be ashamed of, especially as a woman who should not enjoy herself this way. Mm-hmm. So exploring this and and letting go of the expectations, letting go of, of shame, um, of how it's supposed to feel and look, uh, of all of the ways that women have been objectified, you know, in media through that. So so letting go of all the experiences and all the ways you've been programmed to think, you know, about sexuality with your part, also like with your partner, this is also a big thing. I feel like for me, I guess this is like the the main theme of this of this of this episode about pleasure. It's letting go of the expectations that you have for for everything like this is the key like with your partner if you let go of the expectations of of how you're supposed to do it um i am lucky in a way because i have never watched porn so i i haven't really developed that toxic sense of how this whole space is supposed to 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 look but i from conversations i know that this is a, a factor that for a lot of people just i guess fucks up their perception of, of sensuality and sexuality and makes it unhealthy toxic bad shameful um and again letting go of that i feel like can be game changing well and i think like no th- nothing in our world is like black and white um everything it all depends on context and i think the same is true for porn um i'm also someone who hasn't really ever watched that much porn i when i was first learning to masturbate and i was still a virgin in college i started watching like a little bit of porn to like figure out Mm -hmm. how to explore this part of myself and um i watched very little very quickly switched to female like two females in in the scenarios because those felt more authentic and yeah. more honest, less performative. And I know that's a huge factor for many women, less performative. But I've I have not watched porn again since I was probably 22, 23. So it's been a long time. Um, and I do think there is there is value in developing a sense of sexuality outside of that. But I think there's also a world where like Porn can be an incredibly expansive way to tap into different areas of pleasure and sexual expression that maybe you can't imagine for yourself, especially if you've not been put in contact with those. The important Mm -hmm. thing is to sort of notice the tone on like, how does it leave you feeling? Does it leave you feeling excited, eager, inspired, happy, like fulfilled? Or does it leave you feeling a void and a sense of inadequacy or insecurity or confusion? And, you know, I do think that whether or not people choose to engage in porn, it is also really important to spend time just cultivating an understanding of what pleasure feels like in your body. And that happens outside of sexual situations and as well. And it's something we don't really practice in a world where our intellect and our analysis are prioritized and our, our primary modes of creating sustainability and security for ourselves it's where our survival fear gets triggered as well it's it's through our brain and and through this world we've constructed where everything is so 
visual and about how you come across to people, whether that's on Instagram or even your success in being able to engage in typical workplace functions nowadays. So this ability to cultivate pleasure through the body, whether we're talking about sexual experiences or not, is just so fundamentally important. And when we enrich that, we enrich our ability to create pleasure everywhere else. And I will say that um, for me, I really enjoy not watching pornography in that it allows me to to just be myself at the table and to move in any way I want. And because I don't have that um, background information of like what a quote unquote should look like (laughs) when I'm having sex, it gives me so much more freedom and allows me to just tap into the feeling instead of worrying about what things look like. But I think Mm. this, this also touches on a larger scale of what our conversation has sort of been diving into, which is like the shoulds and supposed tos and this need to fit in and the performance around fitting in and the performance of aesthetics. And this is a big deal in sexual experiences, but let's be honest, it's a big deal in our day-to-day lives right now in the world of the internet and social media. And the more we give ourselves these spaces to sort of retreat from that sense of performance and just be a little bit more authentic and real in how we move our bodies, even if it doesn't look good, even if it feels strange or weird or like uncomfortable at first. I think being uncomfortable when you're trying something new is actually a really powerful space because it means you're starting to break down this construct that your brain has been operating from which has served you, but can also be extremely limiting for you. And if you're Mm -hmm. at a point where you're looking to create something new for yourself in any capacity, that discomfort's a really powerful signal that like, aha, you're about to usher in something new. And if you're just willing to relax into it, to give yourself some more space to just receive that discomfort and embrace it for a little while, it just opens up so much more opportunity for joy. And the paradoxical thing about pleasure is we think it oftentimes we're moving to it from this external standpoint, like I mentioned at the beginning of this conversation. And if, but we don't, we don't necessarily know through what vehicle our pleasure can come. There is a sort of magical quality to pleasure where it comes through the unexpected, through the unknown. And if we're always trying to meet our pleasure needs through what we think needs to come together, we are inherently cutting ourselves off from a full spectrum, a full scope of pleasure we could be receiving that we haven't been able to consciously tap into yet. Mm. And I feel like at the end of the day, because as you said, um, our perception of ourselves uh, and, and, and the sense of like, being comfortable with ourselves is so important in in this space of sexuality i feel like that's because you know when you are enjoying yourself and you are enjoying your body and it's also it's subjective so no matter how your body is how it looks but it's about how you perceive how you feel in it when you are enjoying your body this is when other people can enjoy it too and this is mostly Mm -hmm. when it happens when you are confident in your body when you enjoy it and you feel like this is this is me the authentic self no matter what kind of how it looks what position it is in and and how um how you present it if you feel 
great in it. I feel like this is when people are drawn to you, when people can enjoy it as as well, you know. Uh, we I feel like this is like the only factor. Whatever weird things people are doing, when they present it in a confident way, and I feel like when they are having fun, uh, you know, I can see like, a, like an artist or a performer on the street and they are doing... I don't know, something that I haven't done before. But when I see that they are enjoying themselves doing that, I am like, yes, I want to see you do that. I want to see what new thing you can introduce to my life because I know that this is something that brought value to your life. So I want it mm. too. And I feel like mm. with our bodies, it's the same things. When you, if you see someone and they're, that they're, they're, they're showing you that their bodies have brought value to, mm -hmm. to their lives you feel like I want that value as well um mm. and it's it's simple it's like at the end of the day it's kind of math it's it's just it's just a balance of of, of us wanting um of other people wanting to have the pleasure that you have from who you mm -hmm. are in in that authentic way we are always so much more sensitive to energy and emotion and state of being is one of the most powerful vehicles of like through which we assess energy as human beings and you know we know the emotional state of individuals influences how we feel greatly now like the key is to be able to prioritize cultivating your own emotional state consistently enough that you are not reliant on other people feeling good to make you feel good and and that's that's a level of mastery that I'm still working on and moving towards but once you get more practiced in that it's really powerful because if you are in a more centered stable pleasure induced state then any person you have an exchange with is more likely to meet you on that level and even if we take it back to this um window of looking at sex and sexual intimacy with partners, the thing that I find most fascinating is that I would say by and large in all of my sexual experiences, the best ones are when both parties or all people involved are feeling enormous amount of pleasure. And I notice for me especially, I gain pleasure watching myself create pleasure for somebody. And I think this is fundamentally true for all of us, especially in moments of sexual intimacy. There's so much pleasure to be gained and built upon when you're watching somebody experience pleasure as a result of your exchange. Mm. And we can only begin to deliver that if we have a healthy sense of pleasure within our bodies. And I think our resources are just so much more greatly expanded and empowered when we're learning how to create pleasure outside of the bedroom, outside of sexual intimacy, and outside of just focusing on our genitalia. When we understand like all the ways we can experience pleasure in our body, then we have more tools to bring in even into those intimacy uh, moments with, an, with another partner or partners, whatever your sexual exploits <laughs> look like. Yes. But I also think, you know, there's, there's so much beauty in pleasure. There's such a beautiful sense of relief, release, and trust, and, and a natural elevation of joy and happiness and self-confidence that comes when we're prioritizing pleasure and it's really important to find ways to do that in 
any way that you can begin to mine that currency. And for me, it happens in the simple details of any time I step into my movement practice, the moment I start to breathe, the moment I start to feel where my body is and allow it to move in whatever way it wants. And, you know, to piggyback off of our last episode where we were talking about sort of anxiety turning into confidence in movement, um, I think what might be useful for people to hear is that a lot of times when we're stepping into these public spaces, we're so worried about doing the things that are right. And I will tell you, the deeper I go into my movement mastery, the less I am moving in ways that I think would be societally considered normal in a gym space. In fact, mm. I get so many people approaching me when they watch me warm up because my warm up looks nothing like <laughs> the average gym warm up. And but what people are responding to is they're watching me be so in love with myself and in love with the feeling and I very clearly have a sense of confidence and freedom. You know, moving in whatever way that feels good, mm. but it's because I've taken years practicing prioritizing that first and not to say that it necessarily takes years but um this is something i deliberately focused on to the point that i don't care what people think because my pleasure response is so strong and i know the power of prioritizing my pleasure response and so i'm able to fully commit to that and not care about what other people think and the irony is, is people think I must be some movement master. It's why they approach me. It's why they ask questions because they, they're sensing the exact thing that I'm projecting. But the reason I'm projecting it is because I've taken time to cultivate it and nurture it within myself first. Yes. I mean, oh, I'm so excited to, to share it with everyone. I feel like you are I don't know. You are the master, <laughs> and we can learn so much. And and I'm just I'm just happy to to share all of that. And and you know it's helpful. It has helped me so much on on this journey. And so quickly before we go, maybe we can we can talk about what comes next in in that practice. Because yeah. I've been trying the the uh, guided mm -hmm. uh, movement practice that you can find on on our YouTube channel, which is in the episode description. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and it's been, uh, I think it is super helpful, especially for beginners. Um, just even from the fact that, you know, you, you want to know what this entire movement practice is about and sure you can have your assumptions. However, when you have that guided practice, then you are sure that this is what you're supposed to be doing. Um, or like, I guess this is the feeling you are reaching for you are not trying to get you know sweaty to burn calories to like get ripped you're just moving for the sake of moving um and and so i feel like the, the intuitive movement practice was actually pretty helpful uh the only pro that i had a couple of problems which was that for example i zoned out a couple of times <laughs> and and i was just like in in space of like or like enjoying the movement or enjoying my body and when i came back to like your voice it like the move the, the practice has moved on and i was kind of confused because i was in the mm. like in a different mental space um but i guess that is not that big of a deal because you know what comes next and yeah what else have i because i have my notes here so i'm gonna read what i 
what I've written down here. Well, I can speak to that piece right yeah, now. Yeah, sure. Um, I think being able to follow what feels good and that pleasure response uh, is a practice, right? And from everything you've already described to me, you're progressing pretty quickly <laughs> and at a more advanced level. But what I probably probably didn't make clear at the beginning of the recording is any guidance I'm giving through my voice is just a suggestion. It's a blueprint. And it's mm. mostly there to give people things to hook into when they feel like they have nothing to hook into. But what it sounds like is you actually were able to tap into your own energy flow very quickly and able to ride that. And so in that case, like maybe the vocal guidance isn't something you need as much, in which case, awesome, right? There's no right way. There's no wrong way. And a huge part of what those, the guidance and even the voice behind the guidance there is just to like, it's a hand out there that's available to anybody who yeah. needs a hand holding moment at any time. Yeah. And and so that that may mean there's moments where that feels resonant and really helpful. And then they might just sort of feel like, wait, like, why is there a hand? I'm, I'm feeling balanced. I'm feeling fine. I don't need to grab on. And mm -hmm. there's nothing wrong with that. That's that's an incredible place to be. But, um, you know, there's also this process of like when we're beginners in this, you know, creating pleasure capacity in our own bodies, in our movement practices, where... It's not, it, it takes some time to sort of become steady with that. And sometimes, I'm not saying this was your experience, but sometimes we'll be in the stream and then suddenly find ourselves sort of like, boop, like we got spit out. And now we're on the other side trying to find our way to hook back in. And then that way, it's very similar to meditation where it's just like, all right, you reset, close your eyes, bring yourself back into your body, breathe. The vocal guidance is there. Again, if you need some suggestion, if you need a, like, a little reminder of something to hook into to bring you forward, but at no point should you feel pressured to follow. Yeah. But this yeah, is a, yeah, bit, yeah. Bit, a bit of what I, we're actually teaching here through the guidance is like, can you have somebody guiding you through something and trust your own guidance above even the practitioner's guidance? Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the tricky thing. And it's a level of meta awareness and it's a level it's like the next level towards mastery where you can have a quote unquote expert telling you how how you can be going through this practice and to be able to exact that discernment and realize, well, no, like maybe that doesn't hook in for me. I'm going to do something else. Mm, yeah, I feel like prioritizing yourself and your instincts has been like the main lesson that I've been I've been learning here because I what I what has been shocking to me in this like as I've been developing that practice I've been maybe a bit less consistent than in the past two weeks because this has been a crazy period of, of my life but actually still I'm pretty like happy with with how often I've been practicing and and what has shocked me is that very often my movement practice is not very active in in a sense and I think that's because I am moving already so much in in my life and and you know through running through cycling as my main way of commuting or through you know doing yoga whatever I'm I'm quite an active person and so what 
I've realized that I'm usually I, what I usually need in my movement practice is is an opportunity to be with myself and be there for myself. So I feel like it often ends up as just a lot of holding myself, massaging myself, breathing, noticing what what are the sensations in my body and 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 I also have I had to learn to be comfortable with that to also let go of the expectations of move, of a movement practice not being as you know crazy and and like jumping around um and like as as active as as I expected it to be um as I thought it should be also you know based on sometimes how I I watch your videos um and actually, it's been a great lesson to to accept that it doesn't have to be this way. And and like you said, uh, movement is a spectrum. And learning and accepting that uh, has been very, uh, very, yeah. It's been it's been helpful in other areas of my life as well. Um, I guess yeah. I feel like I'm repeating myself, but letting go of, go of the expectations is like game changing in everything in like your entire life and. And so, yeah, I, I want to thank you for this opportunity. I guess my only thought uh, that I can share with with uh, other listeners uh, is that like doing it inside is kind of, it's it's not that convenient. I cannot actually practice it outside still because it's, it's kind of pretty cold uh, here. But doing it inside, inside is it's not that convenient because I feel like I am, confined within the structure of you know the furniture that I have and and how big mm. the space is uh, with the movements that I'm choosing mm. so as we've been talking um you know last time maybe try to take it outside if you can or or in a larger larger space um yeah. so yeah that's that's my last last thought on that I think this is the most challenging part of intuitive movement is once you start diving in, you realize you do need space <laughs> yeah. outside in many ways is like the most accessible way to do it. But you just highlighted there can be limitations to that. Yeah. And then trying to find like indoor spaces where you have that freedom can be challenging. My first step for anybody would just to be f to figure out like, OK, do I have a space that I can shift things around in and like give myself that extra 15, 20 minutes to figure out how do I clear this space as much as possible so I can move. Um, even if there is like a communal space in your living situation, whether you have roommates, whether you live with other people or animals, to find the largest space you can create for yourself and then communicate to all beings present that you're going to be doing this little special container for, you know, 30 minutes or an hour and you're not to yeah. be disturbed. I think um, for me, moving furniture, making space for myself in my own space was the most powerful first step to being able to really expand this practice because you're right. If you've got stuff in the way, it limits you and there's mm -hmm. an opportunity there but if we want to be able to explore that full spectrum, we have to give ourselves access to that full spectrum. Yeah. Um, so, like, that would be my first recommendation. Another thing I wanted to talk about when you noticed your surprise in, you know, how soft or slow and not expressive and big and grand your intuitive movement practice has been, I think another uh 
qualm I have with contemporary fitness and exercise is that they sort of devalue the space of moving slow and of moving soft and of, you know, taking these lower dials of movement into consideration because they are just as powerful as the big dynamic stuff. And if we are not spending time in soft and gentle movement practices, which is really that that beautiful beginning of learning to listen to your intuition and follow feeling and and build that foundation of pleasure we've been talking about, it actually does. It starts in the slow. It so often starts in the slow. And there's moments where you can tap into it fast. But especially anybody who watches my videos and watches me do the stuff I do, I cultivated that really from lying down at first and spending a lot of time lying down on the ground, softly moving, softly rolling, softly stretching. And when I honor what it, what my body is asking for in the moment, I naturally see this sort of like undulation, this wave, these moments where some days and some practices I'm at a high point, really expressive, really athletic, you know, doing all that stuff. But I also know those are only possible once I've gained this baseline of trust and following those impulses, which it has to start slow. You have to have that sense of resiliency built in the softer, subtler things for you to have trust in your body when it starts to want to explore and express the bigger things. Because I mm. let's be real, you know, injury is a huge factor for most people when we talk yeah. about feeling safe in our bodies and there's probably another episode we can dedicate fully to this, <laughs> the concept yeah. of injury and like how that happens and how to go about being more resilient and learn how to follow the signal so you don't get injured. But when you have the impulse to slow down, that's a huge part of it is you're trying to build a safety net. And over time, it grows, especially when you start to expand your space and your resources for space, uh, the physical space you practice in. But more importantly, you're trying to establish a network of trust with your body and those impulses so that as it leads you into bigger and more expressive and, and sort of grand and athletic movements, you feel confident that it can lead you there. Yay. And it starts with slow. Slow <laughs> is fast. But we have mm. such a sense of pressure in most of our movement practices. We're trying to make up for lost time. We're trying to shift the dial on our progress and results as fast as possible. But in doing that, we're missing out on the pleasure and the joy and the richness along the way and and creating that really sustainable framework that can create the exponential changes we're all fundamentally seeking when we are trying to connect with our yeah. bodies. Yeah, I, I relate to, to, to that. And as I think injury and and the health aspects of of moving and, and our bodies is something that we should also record about. So yeah. another thing to add to the list. Um, so yeah, I feel like we've been talking for quite some time. So before we go, can you quickly share with me the next steps that I should focus on in, in that journey, in that practice? Um, so I can, yeah, keep growing. Well, my question would be, what do you feel like is coming up for you what is a need mm. getting activated specifically that you want to satisfy what is a need that i oh this is like i'm not prepared to answer this question but <laughs> wait let me think 
Mm, I guess it's learning. I think like I've developed quite like a routine of the movements that I I've been doing, and mm. so I guess what I would need to do to 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 grow is to try and do things that like do not instinctively come to my mind but do not do that because I'm just not aware that I can do that um Mm. and to make it more um challenging in a way Mm. because like it's all nice and well to do the movements that make you feel comfortable but I guess a movement practice is also game changing to yeah, to, to learn new ways to move your body. Uh, and I feel like that's what I need to do because I've been doing like modifications of different like other practices of, you know, yoga or meditation or mm. or mm-hmm. like dancing or whatever or like more sensual movement. So I guess that mm-hmm. I would need to step out of that comfort zone a bit. Mm-hmm. So a very um, simple practice that may seem like it's not exactly in line with this but actually is right on the money for what you're talking about is sort of creating like a little game with yourself which is not so so much intuitive movement but it is more that idea of challenging your movement sensibility and I would ask that you try and come up with 10 different ways to transition from being down on the ground whether that's sitting or lying down and making your way up to two feet And you can have as many, like, points of contact or transitions as you want Mm -hmm. going from that position. Um, But I would would want each one of those to be different, whether it's one small variation or large variations. But I think what you'll quickly discover is there's maybe three ways you get up and down that feel really intuitive to you. The next three are going to be slight variations and then to come up with the next three to four is going to be like a little bit more challenging in terms of like asking you to get creative and really start to explore and discover different ways to use your body and Mm. something that might be helpful is to only try and do this within you know two or three transition movements again that's Mm -hmm. just sort of like a light suggestion but no it's a good you play around with that you'll start to You'll start to sort of, yeah, have this sense of creativity and play and control mm-hmm. in, like, how you're opening up your movement sensibility. And, you know, something, another practice that I really like is sort of taking a movement that I know and then trying to play around with several different variations of it. So, mm-hmm. for example, very basic thing that I think most people can jump off and riff off of very quickly is this concept of shaking. And one example is just sort of taking your hands in front of you and shaking them as hard as you can, letting them sort of flop around and noticing how that feels. So that would be like part one of this idea. The next part would be shaking out into your shoulders a little bit. The next part could be like bringing that shake into your head a little bit, into your hips, into your legs, into mm. your feet. And then so that that we already have like five variations. Yeah, yeah, but then yeah, how do you how do you build that shake in different ways? Do you take it into like a full scale body bounce? Do you have an intention of like trying to shake directly into the ground or are you trying to shake 
out away from your body? Are you trying to create a specific rhythm or pulse, or、mm. is it more about the feel? So here, like that's another example of like a way to start playing around with movement in your intuitive movement practice. Because I, this is definitely something that comes up for me. There's times where I'm just following what feels good, but yeah, sometimes you, I find going to like a routine. But sometimes I'll find myself doing a movement, and I'm like, well. Maybe now, instead of just moving in a way that feels good, I'm going to explore this movement a little bit.、Mm. I'm going to see is there a new way I can do this. I try, I fall, I fail, I flail, and and allow myself to continue playing with it until I discover something really fun and new. And when I discover something fun and new, I do it over and over and over again. Again, trying to explore those different subtle differences there until I find something I'm really excited about. And just through that exploration. Usually, in my next few intuitive movement practices, all those little details I was exploring that were new start to feed their way in to my practice automatically, and then it、mm. creates the next jumping-off point, and the next, and the next.、Mm. Oh, I'm excited to try that. Actually, I think it's a great way to get me. Out of of that routine and and yeah I'm 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 even on gonna try to record these these ways to to stand up um I guess I will see how that works and yeah and then we encourage you listeners to try that as well of course there is a contact form on on our website which is also in the episode description through which you can you know get in touch tell us all about. Um, your relationship with movement and how your movement practice is going. If you have any questions or struggles, we would love to to hear from you. Also on social media, you can find us.、Um, it's I think the Being Better podcast. It's Being Better dot pod on Instagram and for you, it's just Marie Janicek, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So you can get in touch、uh, through that, and yeah, we would love to hear your thoughts as well. Yeah, and I'll be sure to like post my own sort of guided video instruction on both of these、um, to give people a few ideas of how this can be done. Again, like what I do in the video is not what you have to do in the video,、um, but it'll it'll be a helpful visual inspiration point for you to start playing around and.、Um, Demonstrate your own sense of movement, creativity in your body. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited to see what your thoughts are on that, your ways of standing up, and and how I end up doing that.、Um, so yeah, let's, let's see how it goes, and see you soon. Meant to Move is hosted and produced by Marie Janicek and Julia Spor, as a series posted on the This Thing Called Movement and Being Better podcasts. If you want to learn more or try out a practice that was mentioned in the episode, visit the website attached in the show notes. On our website, you will also find a contact form through which you can send us questions, tell us about your struggles, and also share your recent successes. We'd love to hear about your journey with embodiment and movement, and answer any questions you may have in future episodes. Because if you're asking these questions, it's likely others are struggling with the same things too. So please don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you for listening, and remember that you are so much more than you think, and that you really are meant to move. <laughs>